Lord, you are that way, the truth and the life. I pray, Father, that you would just have your way this evening, Lord. There are lies that you want to speak to. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak forth your word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God. Romans chapter 1. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures. Verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I've always been fascinated, even from my early years as a Christian, at that thought that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. I had some other thoughts that I had prepared, but I just felt the Lord leading me in a different direction tonight. And I just wanted to share with you tonight, by God's grace, the impact of this gospel upon my family. Um, I come from a West Cork town called Bandon. I don't know if any of you know it. It's, it's right down, down the bottom of Cork. Um, Bandon town, when you come into Bandon town, the first building you face is uh, a Methodist church right facing in front of you. A 1821, I think it was built, if my memory serves me correct. I may be wrong, so... <laughs> um, but it's, it serves as a reminder of the impact of a past move of God in that particular town. I think um, John and Charles Wesley were stoned in Bandon by um, many people at the time. He, he didn't get a good reception in Bandon town, but uh, it obviously had an effect on the town. And you see that church building there today. I, I come from a Catholic background. Um, five boys and one girl. Um, we would have been not very religious, sort of nominal Catholic. And at, at a period of time in our lives, my dad, he used to work for um, a bus company as a, as a bus conductor in the days when you, uh, you'd get on the bus and the bus conductor would give you a ticket, whereas nowadays it's the driver does all the, all the work. And um, he... he finished up in that job and he ended up buying a pub and the pub was called the Fisherman's Rest right in the heart of Bandon Town and I suppose from, from that moment on in our lives began to take a different direction. Uh, we, we witnessed the people coming in uh, on a regular basis, you know, uh, a lifestyle of, of alcohol, witnessed people, you know, they'd spend their wages on, on, on alcohol every week, they'd be caught in that cycle of uh, alcohol and all of that and um, we were just um, new to all of this my dad had, had bought the pub and um, it was going pretty okay and um, my eldest brother uh, at, around that particular time um, he was qu quite a number of years older than I was so we didn't have much of a relationship but he came in at one stage talking about Jesus and telling us that he had seen the light. And of course, this was a, an absolute bombshell to a Catholic family who had no idea what's after happening. And 
Um, but it was such a huge transformation. All I remember from my brothers, he'd be he'd smoking roll-up cigarettes and he's sitting at the bar and my other brother bumming cigarettes off him. <laughs> That's all I knew of, of, uh, of my eldest brother. But now he changed, completely different. He had apparently picked up a tract on the street, uh, one of those um, uh, chick tracts. You ever hear those? You know the, uh, and he had read a passage of scripture in that, and he attended one of, um, I think it was a brethren meeting in Skibbereen, which is farther out in West Cork. <laughs> Anyways, there was, a, there was such a transformation in his life that it completely rocked the whole family to the core. Um, and my dad was obviously very, very concerned. And I remember uh, nights where my dad would be tearing into him in terms of uh, what, what's he after getting involved in. And he'd be sitting in the bar stool and he's just, you, you could, when I look back now, I can, I'm reminded that it was the peace of God in his, in his life. He completely changed. And, um, and we didn't under, fully understand what was going on. And, uh, maybe part, part of us envied him uh, because we were the sort of Catholic family that maybe went to Mass a few times a year. weren't very religious. At one stage, my parents may have been a bit more, but we weren't that religious at all, to be honest. Um, and so there was such a transformation in his life um, that uh, it caused uproar. Anyway, as time, as time went by... Um, he, he left home and he, he left Ireland to go to a Bible college in the States. Uh, and he's still there. He's still not in the Bible college, but he's still in the States. And, um, but um, as, as time progressed, I, um, I got a job in uh, Dublin and I started to train as a chef. And um, I was just carrying on with my life as normal. And... Um, one, one particular night I'd finished a very busy service and I heard there was a phone call for me that I was wanted at reception and so um, got up, took the phone call. It was my brother, my brother Fergal. And uh, he says, Garrett, I have some good news for you. So I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, he says, I'm after getting saved. And I'll be honest, my, my heart just sank into my boots. <laughs> I... I I'd felt as if I'd lost a brother because we were very close. We'd, have, we'd go for a few pints together and we'd have uh, fun, whatever you call it at the time. And now he was, in, he was in a realm that I knew nothing of and it really, really shook me. And um, I, I was in turmoil as a result of it. I, I didn't know what to say or what to do. What am I supposed to say? Congratulations. <laughs> So my, my brother's after turning into religious nut and he's going to be preaching at me now when I, when I see him. And sure enough, he was. Uh, it, it just really, really got to me. And I remember at the time I was um, dropping my uh, girlfriend back, sorry, Jackie, back to um, our house. She lived about two miles away from the hotel that I stayed in. And I think the same night I had uh, a good few drinks on me and I was very, very upset. Um, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was con a mixture of conviction of sin and just feeling that my brother had, he'd entered into a different world that I could never attain to. And uh, so I was in turmoil. And I remember after I left my um, 
girlfriend back to the house. I, I, walk, I was walking back to the, um, the hotel and I just felt prompted to take my shoes and socks off. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's, it's from, the, from a Catholic background or something, you know, these pilgrimages climbing up Croke Patrick uh, as some sort of trying, trying in, in a desperate attempt to reach God or something. <laughs> it must have looked ridiculous. <laughs> there I was, I'd say I walked maybe nearly two miles on my bare feet. Uh, and as I got closer to the hotel, I was more embarrassed in case somebody would see me. <laughs> Uh, but it, and when I look when I look back now, it, it was my attempt to reach God, and I just felt as as lost and empty. When I got back to the hotel that night, I just slipped in the side door and um, put my socks back on, <laughs> and uh, just relegated to just a time of madness or something. And um, but uh, it it was, I suppose, in one sense, a, a, an attempt to reach God. Uh, an attempt maybe to try and understand uh, what has happened, knowing that I just I just can't turn over a new leaf. And it, it really, really disturbed me for several weeks. But after, after a period of time, you kind of get on with things. And, and so li- life went on. Uh, I began to, um, I got into the uh, catering college in Dublin and, and, and life was moving on. And then one particular weekend, everything sort of collapsed, and uh, all that I had sort of um, in my mind, I was going in a certain direction, it it all kind of fell apart one particular weekend, and it's like the Lord pulled the rug from underneath me. And um, I was was in turmoil, and I I remember I left work that particular week to go down to my, uh, just to get get away from uh, the turmoil I was in, and... My brother at the time was, he just had bought a house for Ergel and he was, he was building um, a little hut for, for a, a well that he, they, they had dug. And sure enough, he was telling me that I needed to get saved. And he says, look, he says, you know, I can't solve all your problems. And um, he, he was telling me about Jesus. And, and in one sense, I felt uh, a sense of peace about it. And, um, but still, it's just, you know, I'm still in darkness. And uh, he was talking and telling me how he got saved. He was uh, there was a there's a nightclub outside Bandon called the Rugby Club. They'd have they'd have um, discos there back at that time. And he was telling me that one particular Saturday night that uh, he um, was in in the in the club and he was he was quite drunk at the at the time. But he said that he got an overwhelming sense uh, of conviction to get out of the place. And um, he thought he was actually cracking up. Uh, he just he, he just felt that God is not here, and so he ran out of the nightclub. And there's there's a long drive from the rugby club onto the main road. And he said he just ran down the main road, and his uh, girlfriend, which is now his wife, ran down after him. He's, he's after flipping it, and he just just fell on the side of the road and in the pouring rain, just crying out to God to save me. And I, I was hearing this and I said, oh no, what's happening? And as he began to share these things with me, I just felt I just felt like a million miles away from God. How can I ever reach? What do I have to do? Do I have to go down on the side of a road or what? What do I have to do? 
and yet inside it was full of turmoil. <clears throat> and so he, he took me to a prayer meeting that same week, and I met with other Christians. I met Jackie's uncle, Bill. Some of you may have met him. And uh, he was a coroner to give his testimony, so he shared his testimony with me. And uh, I found the meeting very strange, some people with their hands in, their air, in the air and worshipping God, and, and uh, just found it very strange. You know, I suppose if you come from a, a Catholic background and you, you're, you're planted in a group of Christians, seem very sincere and they really seem to mean what they, they pray. It just feels, it looks all alien, you know. But then in, in another sense, it was, there was a sense of peace there that you were away from the cruel world and uh, your pro problems were set aside for the moment. And so as the week progressed, I, was, I had um, decided I was going to go back up to Dublin and uh, Fergal had introduced me to the pastor of the church at the time and uh, I, I had decided I was going back up to Dublin on the Friday. So I said, look, can we go down and see Noel? I went to say goodbye to him and so went went down and uh, just we were talking for hours about the things of God, sitting in an, an old mobile home and uh, a wood burner on the go and we're just sitting down talking about the things of God and it was it was it was a lovely time really when I look back on it and um, he was you know I see he was saying what's stopping you from getting saved Gareth and I said I don't know <laughs> um, I don't know and I felt maybe pressurized I felt I don't know what to do um, I don't know do I want to get saved <laughs> you know it was a mixture of all of those thoughts I mean I didn't come to God with the right motive it wasn't a textbook, what you would say, this, this, and this, and then you're saved. It was just a whole ball of emotion and confusion and not understanding what the gospel was all about. So several hours went by and we had a cup of tea and uh, Noel had a way of looking at you and you'd feel quite uneasy. And he said, um, after we finished, he said, would you mind, he said, if we uh, read out of the scriptures? I said, no, I don't, I don't mind at all. And uh, so I said, we went back in and sat down into the, um, the, the, seat, the area next to the stove. And so my brother was on one side and Noel was sitting in front of me. And um, he, he just began to open up Romans chapter 10 and began to read, just like this, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's my first time ever hearing this. And he went on to read, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so it was like it was going over and over in my mind. And, and Noah said, he said, Gareth, 
What's stopping you from calling upon God here tonight? And just the, the scripture began to come alive. I didn't fully understand what it meant, but it began to come alive inside of me. And uh, he said, uh, another scripture, he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And, and that was the point in which I just started weeping and I was just broken before God. And I, 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 I remember saying in my heart, I, said, I do believe you died for me, Lord. I do, I believe it. I believe it with all my heart that you died for me. And I believe that God raised him. I, I believe you, you raised Jesus from the dead. I, I saw those thoughts in my, I believe it, Lord. So I just began to cry out, Jesus, save me, have mercy upon me. And I don't know how long I was on the floor. I was just crying out to God, have mercy on me, save me, save me, Lord Jesus. And uh, my brother was on the other side and he says, oh no, mama's going to kill me. <laughs> And, but there was such there was such a deep work being done. It was it was like it was like there was a spotlight over you, and the presence of God had come in the mobile home. And, and I I was I was meeting with God, and not fully understanding what was happening. And I remember, as I sat back up, I began to rejoice and thank God for saving me, and. From that moment on, I have walked and known God's mercy in my life ever since, and my whole life completely changed from that moment onwards. I, just, I remember going back up to Dublin on the train, just filled with new thoughts and excitement in my heart that something supernatural had happened to me. Uh, in my old attempt of trying to reach God with taking off my shoes and socks, that was gone. I had reached the other side, I had, I had that revelation in my heart that Jesus was my Savior, and I knew it. I was convinced of it because this word just came alive in my heart. I knew it. I was able to understand the, the billboards that the brethren published. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I was just saying, I don't know. I know what that means. I know it inside. It's revealed to me. And so my, my whole life completely changed. And... Uh, from that moment on, I, I think it was, um, that was around 87, 88. I moved back down to Cork in 80, 89, I think it was, and just began to um, attend meetings and just get stuck in fellowship and all of that. And sometime later, then uh, my youngest brother, Duncan, uh, was heavily involved in, uh, in drugs and, and just wild lifestyle the Lord brought him along a pathway and wonderfully saved him and brought him to the end of himself and began to work on his life and save him. And, um, and then some time after that, my, um, my sister, Michelle, her biggest problem was she couldn't uh, reconcile being a, she couldn't understand. She didn't think she was a sinner. She felt that she had to have a uh, dramatic testimony like the rest of us falling on the ground <laughs> or things like. and uh, so her biggest difficulty was understanding that she was a sinner and um, she was uh, putting together uh, some beads uh, for uh, some outreach work she was attending a church in Scotland 
And so uh, the uh, minister there was a born-again Christian, and um, a lot of the people in the church were, were saved. And so this particular missionary, they were putting together these beads for um, an outreach work in um, somewhere in Africa. I can't think of the country. Where? Kenya, for Kenya. And so um, they had to be a particular size bead and uh, to be the correct one. And so they put aside ones that were duds or were not the right shape. And so um, the missionary lady says, you know, Michelle, you're, you're like one of those beads, the ones that are out of shape or that don't fit into the rest of them. And she said, whatever way she put it, that the Lord began to reveal to her that she was a sinner, that she was imperfect. And uh, the Lord just saved her and, and uh, opened up her heart to put her faith and trust in Jesus. And, um, and finally, uh, my second oldest brother, David, he was uh, probably regarded as the black sheep of the family. Um, he, he, had, he suffered terribly from uh, alcohol addiction. And we tried to get him help many times. Uh, there was a work in, in um, I don't know, some of you might know Balliard's Castle. There was a work there that used to help people with uh, ad addiction, alcohol addiction. We got him in there. Um, and, uh, but he, he, only, he, he only lasted a few months there. Uh, and he kept saying, um, you know, I'm not going to become a Christian just because you want me to, you know. And so, but he was torn apart. Uh, by by the addiction that alcohol had taken on his life, and so as as time went by, um, he ended up getting uh, cancer, and uh, and so that obviously was a devastating blow to the whole family and a, and a great concern, and of course for us, um, my brothers, we were concerned for his soul, and um, um, it had, he he had been given a period of time where. The doctor said that uh, they, they gave him so many months because it, it was terminal. And uh, I remember one particular Sunday afternoon, um, I felt prompted to go and see him. He was in the hospital in Cork. And um, um, at the time, he had gotten, gotten so many opportunities with the gospel that there were some, there were some believers actually said he's rejected the gospel, he's had his chance. And... Um, and it looked, it looked that way. So that Sunday afternoon, I arrived in the hospital and went, went up to, into to the ward. And actually, like Sunday afternoon is the busiest time in a hospital for visitations. Uh, but it was quiet. It was, just, it was just my brother and his wife there. And my brother David was lying in the bed. And um, so um, he just, he'd just woken up. And so he, I just brought him up he went out to the bathroom and... Uh, so after he had finished, he he um, he was just just wasted away, and my heart was so broken for him. And he just began. He started to cry out in the corridor, and he said, "Can we go down to the chapel?" You know, and um, and he just had his head on my shoulders, just broken. And one of the nurses came out and said, "Is that, is everything okay?" And, and I said, "He's fine." So she got him a wheelchair and just brought him back into the into the room, but. God was working on his heart and um, he just as we wheeled him back into the room I said uh, to my brother Fergal and his wife was there I said I said David wants to give his heart to the Lord and so right there in the Sunday afternoon 
David cried out to God. He said, Lord, will you take me a wretched sinner? And he gave us his heart to the Lord that night. Such a precious time. Nine, nine days later, he passed away. Um, but just, uh, I was struck at the mercy of God. You know, there are times we can write one another off. And there's times, you know, people might say, he or she has had their chance. And, I, and my brother would tell you that he had many chances, but right, right at, I, I don't advise it, but right at the age of eternity, he began to cry out to God, and God mercifully saved him. And I just wanted to share those things with you tonight, and being reminded of this great gospel that can change a life, that radically changed our family. You know, my mom and dad are not saved. Um, I'd be grateful if you could keep them in our prayers. My dad's just turned 84. My mom's 79. But um, I, um, I remember my brother telling me some years back when he went to Bible college that uh, apparently when, I got, when Fergal got saved, he, had, he wrote a testimony and sent it to Declan, and, and I, I, I did something similar when I became a Christian. But apparently the whole college stopped uh, for the day and began to rejoice at such an answer to prayer because they'd been praying very much for the family. And, and there was a particular lady, a friend of uh, Declan's, that the Lord revealed to her that God was going to save the whole family. And um, I thank God for the work that he has done in the whole family and keep praying for my mom and dad that God would just open their eyes and cause them to see. Because they're in darkness. Um, just because their children have become Christians doesn't mean they are. And they need Christ also. But if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know Jesus, the gospel it's the power of God to salvation. What does that, what does that mean? That, the gospel is actually good news. The gospel is not a, a set of do's and don'ts, a rule and regulation. It's, it's recognizing that you're a sinner and that you acknowledge that before God. And it was actually God sent his son to this sin-cursed world, into this world, to a place full of people who don't care. While we're yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. God-haters, blasphemers. No, you know, when you think about it, how the creature can rail against such a merciful God. And he sent this great Jesus to die for us on that cross over 2,000 years ago. He came to die. He came to give his life on a cross. And that was that realization that night at about half past one in the morning. I said, I do believe you died for me, Jesus. I believe it with all my heart. I don't know what, how else you can add to that. I believe it. And that's what I began to cry out to God. I may not fully understand the depths of it. I don't think we really will until we get to eternity. The depths and the measure of what God's Son has done for us on the cross. And that realization that that price has been paid, the debt that was hanging over my life has now been lifted off and it's on Christ and I've been set free and I've been forgiven. And those of us here that know Jesus, 
know that peace and that freedom. But if you don't know him, you can know it tonight. You can know it this evening. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says if you you repent, if you turn from what you are to him and put your faith and trust in him, he'll save you. He'll give you forgiveness of sin and a new life, an exchanged life. And a start that you could never dream possible. It's impossible to live the Christian life. That's why Jesus came to make it possible, to put his life inside of you so that you can change from the inside out. That's what happened to me, just an ordinary um, Catholic family who God supernaturally intervened and changed six of us one by one in God's perfect timing, was set free. And I thank God just even to be found here among you and just to share this great news of what this great Savior did for me. And if he, if he did it for me, he can do it for anybody. He can set you free tonight. You can know that freedom. And, you know, it's, we're still living in a day of grace, a day of of answering that call, a day of answering that beckoning of the Holy Spirit to come to the Savior. Because there will be a time when it will be all wrapped up and there will be no more chance to do that. But I implore you to get right with God. You you don't have to go away and, and sort your life out first. You come as you are. As you are. God knows every single detail and he just wants you to come and surrender and abandon yourself to what Christ has done and put your faith and your trust in that. And the the most amazing thing, by coming to that place, by surrendering and acknowledging and acknowledging you're not able to do it, that supernatural life comes inside of you and changes you on the inside. Complete. I couldn't. I couldn't change. I couldn't turn over a leaf. I couldn't ha- stop cursing and swearing. I couldn't. Something supernatural had to happen, and it did. I thank God. So I don't have to take off my shoes and socks to reach God. He reached down and he he saved me. He had mercy upon me, and I I thank God for this tonight. Praise God. <clears throat>